Are you a rebel? Do you ever feel like you don't quite fit into what's expected of you based on your gender, race, religion, or even societal expectations? Good. Then you are a true original. And so is today's guest. She will share her experience of pushing past the norm and embracing her full self no matter what anyone else thinks and tell you how you can do the same. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Sadia Azmat. She's a comedian, author, podcaster, and consultant who has broken boundaries with her insightful humor, thought-provoking commentary, and infectious charm. Sadia co-created and presented the critically acclaimed BBC Sounds podcast, No Country for Young Women. Her recent book, Sex Bomb, explores the complicated relationship between culture, religion, identity, and sexuality, and challenges the predominant thought of what it means to be a hijab-wearing British-Asian Muslim woman. I wanted to have Sadia on the podcast because she is a true rebel and marches to the beat of her own heart. She's completely and totally unwilling to conform to anything just because it's what is expected of her. And to me, that is the definition of living a creative and inspired life. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. I think her work is just incredible. This book is so, so good. And I'm really excited for you because you're going to get to hear a friendship unleashing between us on air. We really left this conversation as true friends. It was so cool. From today's chat, you'll learn how to find the courage to embrace your inner rebel, how to balance being a multi-passionate creative and find your deepest passion, how to be different and find belonging, what it feels like to be the first to speak up, how owning your sexuality relates to unleashing your creativity, and much more. Okay, now here she is, the amazing Sadia Azmat. I'm coming to America, which is like, ah, so big. On the 1st of September, maybe we could grab a coffee if you're in New York. Are you in New York? I'm in L.A. You should come to uh, L.A. I know. Everyone told me. But the thing is, I don't know how to get around. I can't drive. And yeah. so that's the reason. Hopefully another time. I would love to. I just need to get away from London for a bit. Totally. I always say that about L.A. I'm like, if you stay here for too long, your brain starts melting out your ear. It's a really bad situation. <laughs> Oh my God. So what made you, have you been born and raised in LA or did you move there or? No, I actually grew up in Detroit. So in Michigan, I don't know how familiar you are with American geography, but that's only from a hip hop rap. Okay, cool. cool. So you might, you might know Detroit then. Eminem's from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're from the rough side of town, basically. Like me, I'm from Layton. It's also very similar. But I grew up in the suburbs, so I was like two miles outside the city, but right next to it. My parents grew up in the city proper and then moved to the suburbs. So it was like a really lovely place to grow up. But I originally moved here for the entertainment industry because in Detroit, it's harder to do anything. It's a commitment, though. I really respect you. It's like a big commitment for you to do, like to leave your family and move. And I'm like power to you because I hear that it's a really good place to be for the industry anyway. But it's still a huge like commitment. So well done. Now, are you away from where you grew up? You're in London now? I'm from London. So it's not really big, but like we have like an east side and a west side and the east side. So I'm not there anymore, but I'm like still in a similar like vicinity. Okay. But entertainment is really like not doing great here because of post COVID and stuff. And so, yeah, I'm just a bit bored, really. Well, 
I encourage you to move here. I'm looking for more good friends. So I would oh, love I'd it. love to be your friend. I would love to move. But the thing I have to be honest, if you don't mind me saying, because yeah, I'm a comedian, we can't really like hold anything. I love in. how honest you are. You seem like the nice LA person, but I've heard <laughs> of what you were talking about, that there's a lot of people in LA who like, I don't know, that's why probably another reason why New York felt like, because it's a bit more of a hustler type of city and you're a hustler, right? So yeah. you probably get it. Well, you made the right choice for that. Cause I'll say like, I went to New York earlier this year and I was amazed at how much I could get done in a day. I got more done in five days in New York than sometimes I can get done in a month in LA just because it's a slower pace here. Now I will say I felt like I was sick at the end of that trip because I pushed myself to the limit from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, I was out hustling and the city also will kick your ass. It's not just like the people and like the things you're putting yourself through. It's just like the city surviving the city alone is a task. And then it's all the tasks you put in. But I will say like people are down to meet up there. They're alive. They do what they say they're going to do. Here in L.A., like one of the hardest parts is people tell you they're going to do a lot of things and then it just never happens. But I will say you find your crew and it's really nice being so close to the water, to the mountains, to the desert. I mean, you drive in any direction and you are just in like pristine nature. So I've come to love it, but it took me a long time. So what do you want to achieve or have you already achieved it? If you don't mind me asking. not at all. (laughs) I want to achieve everything. I'm like you, Sadia. I just want to do life as much as I can. I I love that. Like as a spirit and anthem and motivation and ambition, all of those things. Yeah. That's a good way of, I I think, encapsulating it, especially in our industry where I think it's difficult to kind of pin down certain milestones. Yeah. You just want to rock life, right? Exactly. Like I want to be everything I want to be. That would be my ultimate goal. So I want to be a singer and a writer and a host and an amazing producer and a public speaker. And I want to eventually find a way to bring all of these things under one roof because I feel like I'm being pulled apart at the moment because I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over here and take care of this creative baby and I'm going to go over here and take care of this. And it just feels like someone's yanking me apart and it's life and my choices. (laughs) I love that you're so multi-skilled. But I think also, I hate to say it, but like I went on this screenwriting course a different lifetime and in the weekend she was just like, it's all in you. The way I do it, because I'm like you in terms of there are so many strings to our bows, right? I know that writing is a very special to me. And so you know in your heart which one is slightly like front running, like yeah. whether it's singing or, or hosting, I think naturally hosting, but maybe more than all of these things. I love your approach, which is like, let's have it all. But in terms of like, as long as you're surviving and you're doing well, then that's okay. But it's like, if, if you've money and surviving is, is a factor, then I think in terms of having some sort of priorities, not a bad thing, right? No, for sure. That's kind of what I'm trying to figure out right now. It's like, okay, I can't take care of all these things at the same no, level. You're one person. Do you have an agent? I do. I think she's great. And like at a big agency, I'm at, I'm rep by CAA for podcasting. <gasps> oh my God. I'm about to fall off my chair. Yeah. Don't leave them. That's amazing. Yeah. She's great. And she really believed in me. And like, I didn't have to sell myself hard because like, you know, being in this industry for so long, it gets really tiresome having to constantly prove define yourself like you're a newcomer for like 10 years or yeah, emerging or more talent. all these weird ways that they describe us rather than just accept what we do and who we are yeah 
tell me for you. So that's what I got from the book is that like writing is your greatest love and you love comedy. The scene you painted where you first did comedy really, it made me cry because it's like, it's that moment where you're like, oh, this is what I've been missing. Yeah. I mean, it's so many things because I don't even know. It's such a good question. I love comedy because it's so many things, but escapism is high up on the list. And like the world, you know, you have so many protocols and rules and it it just felt like a, a space or a vibe where you could just be real. And that's who we are. Right. And I love that. Like, obviously, I talk about in the book that I'm really influenced by American acts and I think that's very different to the British style of things where I think with Britain, Patrice O'Neill said it best, like we love irony. There's nothing wrong with irony, but I think you guys just talk about things that are really heartfelt or topics that are close to relatable, contemporary, important. It just kind of clicked with me. If you think about like watching the news, like that's very grim. And then if you think about watching stand up, it's just like celebrating. It's like the news you want to hear because you learn from it. It's just explaining it to you in a way that doesn't make you feel stupid like the news does, you know. It also is very freeing in that it allows me to be who I am as opposed to the way I'm generally treated in life, which is like a spokesperson for the Islamic faith or a female or a brown person. It just gives me license to be who I am. And I think I don't get that anywhere else but stand up. <laughs> that makes me want to cry. I just love that. But I felt like that when I was reading your book, too, because I've been reading so many books for my show lately. And it's getting to the point where I really don't like reading. And I'm so happy you did because some people be like they listen to the book and I'm like I cringe on the inside. I'm like, thank you. It's nice that they still but it means a lot for you to read it, especially because you're so busy and stuff. So thank you. I said to my boyfriend yesterday, I'm reading this amazing book for Sadia. I'm having her on tomorrow. And I'm like, it's amazing. It's like a podcast that you read also known as writing. (laughs) But it's true because I felt like I was talking to a friend. I was like, oh, finally, someone's not just like telling me what to do or being so prescriptive or giving me like, here are the guidelines for life. Just the same way you talked about American comedy and how it inspired you. You were sharing from this vulnerable place and being like, here's what it is. You might not like it, but this is my truth. And this is what I have to share with you. And I so appreciated that style of writing because it made me fall in love with reading again. It was like the first thing I've read in a really long time that felt fun. Oh, Lauren. Oh my God. I'm moving to LA. We're going to be best friends for real. Like that's really sweet. Thank you. I mean, honestly, I spent a lot of time writing it and it's hard because a lot of people have told me, you know, you've been through a lot and there is that, but like people don't really tell you that it means a lot to hear that you you enjoyed it because reading is sometimes the lives we live these days aren't attuned to reading like the way when we were maybe a few years ago, but with all the phones and stuff, it's like our attention span has become so small and I just love reading. It's nice that you liked it. I loved it. Are you going to write your book, Lauren? Let's talk about you. I love you. You're you're flipping the script on me. Yeah, I want to. I don't know what it's about, though. Nonfiction that has to be, please. For Who are sure. these people making up fiction, please? I can't figure that out. There's enough weird stuff that happens to us where we don't need to pull from the <laughs> sky. But I will tell you, reading this book made me think like, wow, maybe my life could be interesting enough. Not maybe. Come on. Well, yeah, truly, though, because I think so many people go into the story that their lives are too boring to share. And it's not true for any of us, really. Like every person has a story in them that is worthy of sharing, if not many. Mm -hmm. And your book 
freed me to think, well, maybe I'm enough. It's not maybe, you're enough, like 100%. Like, I hate that we don't live in a world or a society where we're encouraged to like water our own plants. I know that sounds really weird. And it's very normal to sometimes question it, but 100% take it from me that you are. And like, I would love to read your book. I think you've got so much to say. And I think somebody would be really lucky to publish you because you already have like a lot of reach, but your creativity would be amazing. I think, like I said, in that screenwriting course I did a, a whole different lifetime ago that really blew my mind. It's like we already have our screenplay inside of us, whether that's, you know, a book or whatever. So it's about just, I don't know where it's hiding, but like we just have to kind of somehow find it. I found mine because of, and it sounds really stupid, it's not just because of COVID, but obviously as a stand-up, I was just touring all the time. And then that gave me like stillness in a way that I wasn't able to leave the house. That's why I kind of like got to writing more. And it was really lucky that I got the deal and that I was able to kind of spend some time. So I think you seem like you're very organized. So I think it's just about structuring. Yeah, you get a long time of your book deal as well. Like it's about a two-year deal. So you could do loads of other things whilst you're writing it. but I think so much like the girl from Detroit that moved to LA that sings that you know host that is all of these like producer writers so many things it will just come out of you like the music music will just flow you know once you narrow down the angle that you want to kind of talk about oh you're so awesome thank you for seeing me I really appreciate that so I want to go deep dive into this book because okay I love this quote you said I remembered reading Cinderella in class that nobody wanted to marry the ugly sisters so I modeled myself on them <laughs> and just so you know I played a stepsister in Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella and I actually didn't even audition for Cinderella because I thought she was boring as fuck so I feel you and I love this tell me what happened and like why you made that conscious choice So as an Asian person, like from like, God knows, like three years old, four years old, like marriage is a big deal. And I didn't even understand, like, obviously I'm Indian, but like I'm living in the UK. So it's like weird because you have like some of the cultural pressures, but you're not in that environment. So thinking about a way out of it, because to be honest with you, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Equally, I'm not sure of Prince Charming. And so I was like, where's this guy? It felt like a fairy tale. And I knew that my life wasn't one. And so when I read about Cinderella cleaning, I was like, I am not cleaning. I didn't like the idea of enforced housework. It's housework you all have to do to an extent, but the enforced, like, and that she didn't protest. She didn't seem to have much of a personality. She was pretty, but whatever, right? Like her lifestyle wasn't pretty or her life, uh, you could argue. So, I mean, I think there was a freedom in the Ugly Sisters in that they were really like real, like they weren't fully great, but who is? And I think the fact that they kind of got what they wanted or they had personalities really appealed to me and that their identity wasn't steeped in just like, you know, their kind of marital status. Oh, I love that. It's interesting because when you said they weren't great people, but like Cinderella was pure, it kind of reminds me of when you were talking about like people would see you wearing the hijab and then they would assume all these things about you. And they're like, oh, she's wife material. I can't date her because she's too pure. But then it's like inside of you, you're like, wait, I want to date. I know I have this sexuality to me. And like, why are you assuming these things about me? Is there a connection between that story and that story from your own life? Yeah, I think that's such a beautiful observation. And I think the interesting thing is, is that I don't think there is a spectrum and we all kind of touch points of it 
we're not either all one side or the other. And purity is a really difficult thing to even observe about somebody because you you can be pure, but how would anybody know? Like it's not just about your appearance or wearing something. So it's definitely an expectation when you wear like a religious garment. I think women, we're all judged, like whatever you're wearing or whatever you're not wearing. So you can't really win. So I don't try to play the game because I just try to be sincere in who I am. And the thing is, I had feelings, you know, even though guys weren't approaching me or interested in me or whatever, I knew that I had not bad intentions. I just had like, I was interested in like, you know, exploring my sexuality. It felt like a bit of a dream that like, you know, how's this going to happen? It felt an impossibility and I thought that was a huge shame. And so it motivated me to write my story so that other girls like me could see their experience reflected back and then hopefully find a different way of navigating it. Because, you know, I certainly made mistakes and it's just unfortunate that if you can't talk about these mistakes or even have like these existences captured in real life, then they just become underground. And I think that women like me then become less cared for. And if they're struggling in relationships that aren't serving them, it's difficult for them to find a way out or to get help if they need it. And so it was really important for me to have this conversation. And I know that, especially in the UK anyway, that this is like the first of its kind, because you don't have like a Muslim wearing a headscarf, very boldly calling their book Sex Bomb. Yeah, it was important to me because I think for so long, people from my community just haven't been willing to have a conversation. If I had called it anything softer, I just didn't want to run the risk that this very important kind of subject would just be like ignored. And so I really wanted it to be upfront and in people's faces. Yeah. Tell me what it feels like being the first person to step out. I mean, the thing is, is that with stand up, I've been definitely doing dick jokes, you know, and uh, exploring this, but obviously, it's a thankless task, Lauren. <laughs> I'm sure it's not only thankless. I'm sure that you've received a lot of criticism and critiques for it. Yeah, I think the thing for me is that like, it's lucky I'm a comedian because I have a sense of humor about it. But there's a huge lack of belonging on either camp because I'm too Muslim for the non-Muslims and I'm not Muslim enough for the Muslims, if that makes sense. So it's like where I'm doing something that's a little bit you could say more liberal I think Muslims who don't want to engage they kind of just label you like I had a bookshop event that Muslim women complained and had cancelled because without reading my book and I just felt so bad about that and it was really messy but I won't go into it because you know I don't want to disrespect Muslims because non-Muslims see me wearing this garment on my head so then they're probably like still keep a distance as well or they don't feel like they can fully understand as well. I don't know if that makes sense. But basically, I think being the first is just trying to help to destigmatize some of these very normal things that we experience as Muslims, like everybody else. I feel like I know that the Muslims probably worry that I'm glamorizing sex, but my response is you don't need to glamorize sex. It's fucking glamorous. Sex <laughs> like this, like drugs. You don't need adverts. Yeah. Like people will just go and get them. So I'm not trying to do that at all. But if they're not going to give it a chance and read the book and just judge it by its cover, like I, I don't know how I can defend myself. Well, it's interesting because what you're doing in the book, from my perspective, is saying, hey, I'm a human. We're fully human. And you're encouraging the people who decide to keep like pure, whatever that is to them, as much as the people who decide to go out and like have a one night stand every night, as much as the people who decide to let their hair free, as much as the people who decide they want to wear the hijab, like 
you're encouraging everybody to own all pieces of themselves and to not shut off or shun any piece of themselves, which Mm -hmm. unfortunately, no matter what culture you come from, you're either encouraged to do so, you're always encouraged to do so, or people do it to you. And what you're saying is, no, reader, do not settle for anything less than the full, complex, messy human you are. And if somebody tries to tell you you're not that, tell them you are. Yeah. I think that's where I love stand-up. It's taught me so much. And I think it comes from like, you can't please anybody, Lauren. And I know sometimes we all have a bit of people-pleasing tendency, but you wouldn't be able to please anybody. So you really have to look within and look after yourself. And like, we change and stuff. Like, it's not that everything we think or feel is a constant, but it's just respecting ourselves as well. And I think for me, for too long, as you described earlier, where people assume so much about me that I don't want to be people people's assumptions I'm going to be myself and then they can take it or leave it but it's not for them I don't want to live a life that makes sense yeah you're a natural born rebel that's just something that ran throughout the course (laughs) aren't we all yeah but you actually act on it I think a lot of people are inside of themselves but they hold it inside themselves and they keep pushing it down because they do want to be accepted whatever that means but they're being accepted for a person they're not like you are just unwilling to be accepted for someone that you're not. And you would rather be rejected for who you are. And that has run throughout your whole life. Like even your decision to put the hijab on was like in part a rebellious decision because your parents didn't care. But you're like, you know what? I'm going to wear it. And even your decision to keep wearing it, you're like, you know what? I don't want to make people happy. Like there's some people that'd be really happy if I took it off and I'm going to keep wearing it. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you understand me very well. I mean, full marks to you. Thank you. So true. But I don't know if I had been different, whether I had been accepted, I would have craved it more. But I guess I don't feel like I've ever really felt in an in crowd. So it's never really been something that I've tried to strive for too hard. Like, obviously, when you do stand up or whatever, it's lovely if people enjoy your work. But Patrice, again, go back to one of my favorite, Patrice O'Neill. He was like, you know, the whole great thing about stand up is not about them agreeing with you. They can laugh at your joke and not agree with the thing you're saying. And I think in this day and age where it feels like we all have to agree, that's really powerful to know that, you know, you can enjoy something and it's not for you. Not everybody can love all of you as well. So it's just you accepting yourself more than anything, right? Right. Well, and we probably don't even love all of us or the people we love the most. We don't love all of them, but we accept them. And I think that's what it's about. It's like, can you learn to accept and be soft with the parts of yourself and others that you don't love or agree with or that aren't easy for you? That's so deep. I'm going to need to sit down after that. No, I'm joking, but it's so so true. I think that I've learned a lot about even in the conversations about mental health where gratitude and acceptance, like the things you can't control. You just have to hold on to accepting, like, you know what I mean? Like, you you can try and change some stuff, but, like, the things you can't, you just can't, right? You just can't. Yeah. And speaking of mental health, like, I really love that you went into that in the book and, like, the lack of conversation around that in your household. And also, like, I really related to that because my grandmother was severely abused by her mother. And then she stopped the pattern of abuse and didn't abuse my mom but like that trickled down like the mental health issues that that started came all the way down the bloodline and you speak about how your mother lost her mother to suicide when she was young and then kind of just like shut that piece down didn't talk about it the secrecy around it can you talk about like where you're at in your journey with mental health how all those lines connect to where you are now and like yeah just that piece 
I have a joke for stand-up that I'm I'm from a long line of suicide because not only did my grandma unfortunately pass away from that, but so did my mum. Well, not not that so did my mum, but my mum also unfortunately attempted suicide numerous times. With my mum, I think similar to your grandma, she tried to stop the pattern. But what she did, and like, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, you know, you understand and respect and and I'm thankful for her choices, but she guarded us from mental health. I think it's really hard for the person who has mental health to feel like that's impacting on the people that they love or their children. And there's a bit of shame attached, unfortunately, um, because it's really a difficult condition. You know, the way that you feel about yourself is thrown around because the way there's a bully inside of you that's making you feel really small. So even though people can't see what's going on, you're going through a great deal. And yeah, I think with mental health, we have this hashtag in the UK, be kind, but it's so much more than just like you need more than like, you know, these kind of mental health days and, and hashtags and stuff. And I think it's just working on yourself and treating others the way you want to be treated would be great if we lived in that type of world. But we can all still try. I love acupuncture, so I go for that a lot. But what my acupuncture doctor is like amazing and he cares about trees more than people, which is really funny to me. There was like a storm, right? And um, a tree fell down and uh, I showed him a picture and he was really upset. But whenever I tell him about some issues, never like that bothered. So I just think these acupuncture doctors are the best. And it helps me put things in perspective that we have a universe inside of us that we need to look after. And I think when that doesn't feel like that's being done, it flags stuff up to us. So we do need to look after ourselves, even if we, like you said earlier, like there's parts of ourselves we don't like, but we just need to kind of have a good relationship with ourselves. Now, I didn't understand that because when I was younger because it was just like a taken for granted that of course you like yourself of course you love yourself like why would you not but then until you understand there's like a change of understanding and and realization that that's an active thing not a passive thing and then once you kind of realize that you do need to kind of like prioritize you your body and your needs it can go into remission and I didn't appreciate that mental health could get healed and that's something that I I regret not knowing earlier even to help my mom in terms of the fact that you know you could heal things but I think where some people don't want to talk about it it's difficult to help people but you also have to try your best to kind of help yourself in a way. And it's hard when you know you've done something that could help, like being the first person in your family to tell the truth about your life. You strike me as you're definitely the first person to do that. Yeah, that's 100% true. (laughs) I feel that too, being the first person in my family to talk openly about mental health and my struggles with anxiety and depression. Like no one's done that before because of the shame. And when you are the one that brings a secret out into the light, I don't know. I feel this weird like guilt because I'm like, Well, if I don't tell this, I'm not sharing who I am, but I'm also putting my family on blast because they haven't been ready to tell this in the past. But at the same time, the only way this is going to stop is if we talk about it. A hundred percent. And I think the fact that you talk about it puts it in its place because it doesn't have a hanger over you. You know, some people, I'm not like shaming anybody, like people who don't want to talk about it. I completely understand. It's very sensitive, but it can feel like, you're afraid of people finding out whereas as soon as you do kind of like have some openness about it it doesn't control you it doesn't like have a hang up over you and also I think you're really brave basically for sharing it I know what you mean in terms of like worrying about talking about some of these things or how that might make some of your family feel but if it helps other people as well then I think it's positive and 
your experiences are your experiences and I think it's good to talk about it as much as you need to and I think like I wanted to ask you like how do you kind of heal or what do you do for yourself like for good mental health I do therapy I've had a couple therapists. I had what I call a starter therapist. (laughs) It's like akin to my first husband, basically. She was my starter therapist. She got pregnant and left. And I was like, that's fine. I'm healed. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) But then I took a few years off and I just found myself having the same patterns again. And then I found my therapist I have now, Jessica, in 2017. And she has totally changed my life. And she's really cool. And you might like this because I feel like you're somebody who is either very much in touch with your body or like working on that. But she basically does somatic healing. So it's not just like the mental. You're also releasing physical trauma that's stored in your body. Is it tapping? What is that? What is somatic? So tapping is great too. I think that that would be considered somatic. This is called radical aliveness. And it's a type of like energy release. So the way I describe it is like she would pull like a big piece of foam into the middle of the room. I know this sounds crazy, but just hear me out. So she'd pull a big piece of foam into the middle of the room. She'd give me a tennis racket and then she'd be like, okay, well, today we're working on boundaries. So I'm going to stand over across from you and you're going to say no over and over and over again. So I take the tennis racket above my head, bend my knees, arch my back, like pelvic thrust and hit the tennis racket down on the foam core and say no. And all of a sudden, I'm having like flashes from my childhood. I'm having flashes from like my relationship at that time, which was not good. I'm having flashes from a really toxic work environment. And I'm sobbing and there's this energetic release. And I don't even really know what's happened. But I'll tell you, in one session of that therapy, I get more work done than I would get in many months of just traditional talk therapy. I have goosebumps. That's so cool. And I keep reading on this like acupuncture doctor who I love, Dr. Lily Chow, natural healing. She's based in America as well. And she says that all illnesses stem from like emotional disruption, you know, like basically it's like unreleased trauma a little bit, isn't it? So at that time in that toxic workplace environment, like maybe you weren't able to deal with it because nobody kind of had that conversation with you or there wasn't a way to kind of like deal with that at that time. So it's good that you're able to feel like it's released because I think it's difficult because I mean I got to the point at one point where I was like there can't be no more emotions left inside of me like I think I've cried them all out or whatever like they've got to be out so it's good that if you get that feeling that's been an accomplishment in that session that's very amazing yeah I definitely will say for me there's still more to go and I also do breath work have you ever heard of that I just started. Yeah, that's for me. It's just, oh, I can't. I have no patience. Because I know you're not meant to breathe from your chest. You're meant to breathe from your stomach anyway. But I've checked my chest. I don't think I do that. For me, I like, I mean, exercise has been a really help. Yeah. Because it's just somewhere you're not really thinking like you're able to move. And it's interesting how powerful movement is, isn't it? Like even in Chinese medicine, like I was watching some, I can't remember what it's called, but they have like, it's not Tai Chi, but it's similar to that. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. What is oh my it? God. It's my old acupuncturist does it. Qigong, Qigong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so glad. My head was like, what is it? But like, there's one for the liver, there's one for the heart, they're all the organs. So, like, if you want to like feel less anxious, you know, there's ways of like getting it out of you. And I think any type of movement and breathing, like you said, breath work is going to be powerful. But I think you have to have patience, man. Sex is probably really good. I just Sex can't is get great. any right now. I, <laughs> I'm so single, Lauren. Well, okay, let's drive back into the sex because I, I want to talk with you about all this. Okay. 
tell me about <laughs> your thoughts on virginity, because I kind of felt like you felt similarly to me. So I grew up Italian Catholic, so I had a lot of messaging about sex. Like my mom, my whole life was like, keep it light, keep it light. You can give them a peck on the lips, but that's it. Stay a virgin till marriage. She would always say this horrible thing. I don't know if this is a saying in the UK, but why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Oh, shit. have you heard of it's that? A good, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shit. Your mom is not joking. No, she all. wasn't joking. Woo! She wasn't joking. And she made me believe she was a virgin her whole life, like virgin till marriage, until she found my birth control in the trash. And then I found out she had lied to me because I assumed she was a virgin because of all that stuff she said. Sorry, mom, to call you out. I love That's you. <laughs> I love your mom. Hi, Mrs. Lagrasso. She's the greatest human, but like we definitely went through a journey with sex. So anyway, there was a lot of talk about virginity and losing your virginity. And like when somebody would get pregnant out of wedlock, quote unquote, she would be like, well, you know, they had to get married. So there was just like a lot of thoughts. And I remember. So the first time I had sex, I was in college. It was with my first boyfriend. And I remember being like, that's it. Now I'm not a virgin. <laughs> if this thing was so precious and something to be held up on such a pedestal, like how did I lose it that fast? Like if God really wanted us to keep this for as long as we possibly could, like why would it be like that you could lose it? Wasn't there meant to be fireworks? <laughs> yeah. Like what? I was like, oh no. Now I've lost it. I remember sitting in the library at Michigan State, which is where I went to school, and like typing on the computer and being like, I'm no longer a virgin. <laughs> Yeah, I know. But I think that's really sad, right? Because yeah. it's meant to be a physical act. But for women, the way you've just beautifully explained is that we have to contemplate the loss of this thing that we didn't even know, like, what the hell that was that we possess. I think it's way more than just your sexual status. It's a way of people kind of sizing up women, like, you know, what type of woman are you? It's a way that people or both men and women judge people and especially women about who we are but it's hard to be judged like that because sex isn't just a physical act or for women anyway that you know there's emotions and, and things attached and sometimes you don't know like what people's motivations are like you could really just be into a guy and he could be really charming and you don't know like the implication of it so that, like you said the way that parents and elders try and police it is really strict and then the, like you're getting love and like interest from like some cute guy and so it feels like okay to just give it up but you don't know what you're giving up you don't know like the worth of it or the value of it so without them explaining it to you properly rather than putting the fear of death into you like you'll just be shunned from society da, 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 da. so people don't really talk about it properly like even in sex education at school I talk yeah. about this a lot in my stand-up is that who had a good sex education nobody you get a cartoon you get some crazy diagrams it's not really like how things are in the real world so you don't know what you're losing I knew too much about what it is because I think with Muslim women like you're either considered super repressed or like a fetish which is they're both really strange and you mean by non-Muslim people yes because people either like they find you quote-unquote exotic that disgusting word yeah or you know they think that we just kind of like have to obey men all of our life which is so weird because like I would never do that clearly unless they had a big dick no I'm joking <laughs> I don't know any guys with big dicks 
<laughs> Did I just say that? But yeah, so it's tricky. I think it's just pressure on women. And I think it's difficult for women to then balance that because with their own kind of inclinations and desires and needs. And I think if it was more balanced and we were seen holistically, that would be great. But often it's like we're compartmentalized and the virginity seems to take precedence rather than like other characteristics we have, like our sense of humor or intellect or beauty or kind heart whatever all of those things are yeah I felt similarly to you that it was just like oh shit like I've lost it and then it was like what changed not a lot really (laughs) and then yeah you just left wanting something more than maybe you're getting well I, I was left wanting more from that relationship and then it didn't come to fruition and so it is tough for women I think to feel like you know there's a right time for it and how do you know like if a guy just thinks that he has to tell you he loves you to sleep with you then maybe he'll just do that but how do you know if it's real so it's difficult because there's even marriages where guys you know marry you but then there's no love or that they leave you straight up you know soon after so it's like we don't want to blackmail men to love us to sleep with us but then there's no alternative for us or like it feels like that in the beginning because there's no real conversation around what sex actually is I always say if my parents had had a more open dialogue with me about sex, I actually probably would have waited longer, like significantly longer, because I would have understood what I was getting into instead of it just being this big taboo thing or this like yes or no passage. Yeah, like like you say, and, and what I loved about the book, there's so much nuance to life that gets left out of the story. And if we could actually talk about the nuance, we would make better choices. Hey, creative. If you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody that you care about? Your friend, your mom, your lover, whoever it is, because podcasts really are spread person to person. And I don't know about you, but the ultimate influencers in my life are my friends and family. So if all of you could share the podcast with just one person, it would make a massive difference in our creative community, grow it, and we can all help support and lift each other up and get toward our dreams even faster. So please, if you have time today and you feel so compelled, share the show with a friend. Oh, also, if you have time, feel free to like pop on over to Apple and leave it a rating and review and a rating on Spotify. Okay. Love you. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, similar to yours in a way, it was like, if I showed any interest in sex, like that would be wild. And then it would be like, Sadia needs to get married. And then it's like, oh shit, but who am I getting married to? Because I don't even like, I just randomly like watched a movie where people were kissing or something crazy or or Michael Douglas movie would have been probably because he had so many sex in his movies but anyway I digress but what I'm saying is that (laughs) at least you had conversations with your mum about sex like I wasn't allowed to even show an understanding of it right in case I did then it would be like oh shit she's growing up too fast or she's ready to have babies or whatever whatever then it was like kind of like acting like I knew everything about sex around people like my friends because I didn't want to seem like I wasn't cool or whatever and then around my family having to act like I don't have any feelings or anything like that for anybody and then so just picking up the piece so living for everybody else and like oh god who wants to do that yeah I mean, didn't you talk about how you even didn't want your parents to know you had your period because you didn't want to be considered somebody who could like be getting married? I don't know if I mentioned that in the book. I think I watched an interview where you were having tea or something. 
I yeah, yeah 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 sorry sorry but it did sound familiar so <laughs> I mean to that interview I was like I thought I was pregnant but I had never had sex yes no, <laughs> wait no but I thought that too when I was younger oh when I got my but period there's so much the pressure time. on women it's like we wouldn't like it happened to Mary didn't it so yeah you know, see? Fuck, loads of shit happened <laughs> it happened to Mary didn't you never know you know I thought the same thing I remember I was like 13 and oh did you not have a period for a long time because I had basically not had my period for like it's all coming back to me now Lauren I hadn't had a period for like 50 days and I was like that's weird yeah I knew I I was a virgin at the time same one time though like even after I was a virgin I've always been very paranoid about getting pregnant because of that stuff my mom said about people having babies out of wedlock and they had to get married so I remember in college like that boyfriend of mine and I broke up and then I hadn't had sex for like three months and I had been getting my periods by the way but I was like I feel kind of weird like (laughs) I don't feel like myself so I would like (laughs) take a pregnancy test every other day just in case the period was wrong that's so funny but also good it's good to check you never know I I don't mind I prefer you putting your mind at rest to be honest because it's a big worry to have for a young girl it is So, okay, when you started, like, coming out about being a full human and that you had sexual desire, what started happening to and for you? Because I don't know how into, like, chakras and stuff you are, but the chakra for sexuality is the same one as creativity. So my thesis is that when we can fully embrace our sexuality and who we are, we also fully embrace our creativity and our life force energy. Did you notice anything like that? Like, what happened with you when you started talking about this? I think that's so wise and I think you've just connected the dots for me because I agree that it it felt like those two things happen at the same time like I think when I stopped going on stage and trying to be funny and just was myself and talked about how you know I can't get dick and you know all of these honest things about myself I felt like I wasn't trying to be somebody I wasn't and so I was owning all of me like in terms of the stuff that was good and 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 using the stuff that I didn't like for humor anyway and which we all all creatives do right we all use kind of like our life and our journey and our kind of experience it's a learning curve because you have to get comfortable with yourself and then to be able to do that you even have to know yourself definitely comedy helped me a lot and definitely being open about who I am helped me to stop hiding and then made me comfortable or embrace who I am like definitely not comfortable all the time but like it's good to just be you and I think I'm seeing it more and more especially with women from Asian backgrounds so I feel like it's definitely less taboo but it's definitely still a lot of stigma I would say as well I don't know what you would think yeah I mean I am not as comfortable talking about sex as you are and I still feel there's a big part of me like there's a priest in my family and I'm like oh god father ed is gonna see this and then he's gonna like come up to me at the next family get together and be like you know you're going to hell right there's a part of me that's still scared of that that's why I admire what you're doing so much because the pressures that were put on you are far greater than the ones that were put on me from what I've read I mean I really do think that and so the fact that you're standing up and saying no I'm gonna be myself it's just so brave how do you do that Time for Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da 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 da. I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. 
Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. For me, I guess, to be honest with you, with comedy, there's a fine line between bravery and stupidity. I'm probably more on the stupid side of things. I'm not afraid because I don't think that, like, I'm doing anything wrong in terms of, like, I don't sleep around. But even if I did, like, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is that I just feel like I'm exercising my voice, a comedic voice. And I just think we've had to be controlled for so long. Like we've never had a voice. Muslim women have never been able to be like rounded or 3D. Like we've always been like portrayed very bland, very black and white, very kind of like passive. And I don't know people like that in the UK. That's the weird thing. And I'm like actually more normal. And so I think authenticity again as well is really, really important. So I'm not really afraid of people like not liking it. I'm very much a Muslim. I love my faith. It's got me through so much. I'm very, very grateful for my faith. But comedy is something different. So, and Dave Chappelle actually is Muslim as well, right? But he gets to say that I don't want to speak on behalf of Islam because it's very pure and it's very amazing and good. And I don't want to like affect that in any way. And so he gets to kind of not have to represent that. So mm. I'm just being a comedian when I'm doing what I'm doing. I think in a way, like, because Islam, unfortunately, it hasn't been reflected well in the media. I think what I'm doing is not actually drawing like, I'm not trying to like do a bad thing. I'm just humanizing who we are, which hopefully will make people even more curious about the faith or open to it in some ways. Well, I'll tell you a passage that made me more curious and think, wow, actually, Muslim people are very progressive. And more so than any, I mean, I don't know as much about Judaism. I only know like my experience being Catholic and Christian, but like, You wouldn't find this in the Bible. Let me tell you that much. So you said in the book, when a woman becomes a wife, these men believe she shouldn't possibly be as naughty or as sexual as women they have flings with. In fact, this went against Islamic teachings where it's a man's duty to fulfill his partner's needs. Tell me if I'm saying this word right. Hadith? Hadith. 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 There's a hadith that says, do not engage in sexual intercourse with your wife like hens. Rather, firstly, engage in foreplay with your wife and flirt with her and make love to her. That made me cry. Foreplay, 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 foreplay. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, right, I did a lot of research and I just came across a lot of material that for some reason we don't get to hear about, but it is definitely there. And it's like Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he's a messenger in Islam, the final messenger. And he gave etiquettes on like how we live life and that includes sex. And so it's definitely a two-way street. In fact, there's been other places I couldn't go into so much detail in the book, but like I suppose you could say narratives about how women like have as much, if not more, sex drive than men. So like husbands need to kind of like, you know, we need to kind of be fulfilled. And so I like that because it's balancing it out because we don't ever get to hear that side of it. I know a lot of women who are in relationships with men who have a higher sex drive than their boyfriends or their husbands. And nobody talks about that. I don't know why. I, I Actually, similar to a conversation I was having recently as well, but we're allowed to. And the fact that we don't get to talk about it is just another way that women kind of get a raw deal. <laughs> Pardon the pun. I think that we need to kind of like be open in relationships and we kind of don't get depicted very well by the media like they like our boobs they like our butts and like you know they like portions of us but like you said those other things are also valid and important about us even if it's just the possibility of orgasming again that's another thing you don't really talk about or you don't hear about in the press or lately maybe a few more articles but I think 
just feeling like we can kind of own it. I think because sex sells and so they like to control the narrative. I don't know if that's the kind of comedic cynic in me or whatever, but it feels like we're controlled a little bit by the depictions of sex. And so I think it's so important to define it for ourselves. And in terms of like what we want with our relationship, kind of with our partner and like make sure that it's good for us rather than living up to some fake image or, or standards that we don't even like need to kind of please like I think that's what I talk about a lot in the book where I was like in my early stage where I didn't understand a lot of it I was quite exasperated but it's like who am I answering to like you know at the end of the day you just this is a personal thing between you and your partner you don't have to kind of look a certain way or it doesn't have to be the way other people are doing it or whatever like you know as long as you and him are happy then we're good yeah where are you at with your relationship with sex and your sexuality now like where do you stand today because I know you said Lauren I'm very single like how are you still exploring that while you're in this phase of being with yourself yeah I mean to be honest with you I'm not really like it's been a quiet few years I'm not in a bad place about it I know that I need like an emotional connection to enjoy sex. Like I wish I could do it another way, but I think like you, we were both raised from a very religious upbringing. There's a box that doesn't get ticked if that's missing. And so I haven't found that and I'm at peace with that. I'm hoping that it will, but you know, you get those days where you're like, it's never going to happen for me. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm definitely not in a bad place. And I think the worst place where I was in was when I was settling for, for sex at the cost of so much more and enjoying it and my own kind of happiness and like just accepting that was enough. So now I'm doing things the way I should have done it, which is like I'm not in a relationship. And so I'm just like accepting everything that's kind of part and parcel of that. And yeah, just keep praying. Yes not using any dating apps because I really hate them, Lauren. How did you meet your boyfriend? So I think I had a pretty similar experience to you. So I, I was in a relationship for seven years in my 20s, and then we broke up right before the pandemic. And I remember it was like February 2020. And I was like, I'm ready to date again. And then the whole world locked down. I was like, God, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't go back to him, did you? Because it was easy. Oh, yeah. No, I totally did. Oh, I don't blame you. For but like I'm a sad. month. It was good. It actually helped me because we ended up quarantining together for a month. And then I went back to Detroit with him and then he flew back to his family in Minnesota. So we actually were able to like kind of like end on nice terms and like help each other through that tough moment. But then I was single during the pandemic and I was on all the apps and it just felt like another job to me. And I also would like yeah. get on these dates with people. And because I'm such a person who is like attached to energy and how someone feels, I was like, what? That's not how you came off in the picture. And it wasn't even like they looked different. It was just their energy was different than I expected. So end of summer 2021, I'm like, I'm getting off the apps. I just like can't do this anymore. I'm going to try really hard to treat myself the way I want someone to treat me. So like I would literally like make myself coffee in bed and like drink the coffee. I would hold my own hand. I would like lay on the couch and hug myself when I was sad and be like, Lauren, it's going to be okay. We love it. Yeah. And I said about a week before my boyfriend asked me out, I said, God, if I'm meant to be with someone, drop him in front of my face and don't let me be able to look the other way. Just like make it so apparent that I can't deny it. And if I'm not, I trust you. Just let me have peace in my heart about it. 
Yeah. And then a week later, he asked me out and he was a friend. He was someone that I built an organic friendship with over the course of four and a half months. I kept saying too, like, I want to be introduced by someone I know. I kept saying like, why do you need two references to get a job interview, but none to go on a date? I know. <laughs> and I tried to, like, I, I really relate to what you're saying because, so I, I tried to like enjoy a casual experience. It was not fun for me. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy myself. So what I realized about myself is I'm safety sexual. I have to feel safe in order to enjoy myself in those situations. You need to feel safe so you can feel dangerous in the Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you don't have those boundaries of safety, there's no way that you can explore and be fully yourself. Then you're trying to feel safe in a risky situation, you could say, right? Exactly. But like the fact that he was already my friend. I love God. God is brilliant. Right? Uh, listen, that was a beautiful prayer as well. Um, such a beautiful prayer. And uh, we have a very similar one in Islam. And um, I, I hear you that it's like, if it's not for me, then give me the contentment with your decision. Yeah. But like, I love like, I've heard a few stories where it's like, it just turns up. And I think that's so sweet. And I'm so glad. And it's, you seem so happy. And you're so pretty. It was always going to happen. Let's be honest. But it's nice that you're happy. I wasn't sure because I had a lot of unrequited love in my youth and I had a lot of disappointment and then a lot of hardship. Like I thought love was just meant to be hard. I didn't know it could ever have ease or flow to it. And definitely we've had our things like it's not like well, then we rode off into the sunset. Everything was perfect. Not at all. <laughs> but I've just never really doubted it for a day. Like I always knew even when it was hard, I wanted to do the work with him. And I've never had that willingness on both sides to do all the hard things. You like, I want to do all of life with him, not just the easy, good parts. It seems unconditional, Lauren. And I'm going to have to come to LA for the wedding at some point. Please. But this is so amazing. I'm so happy. I have a guest room. So like, when you come here, you should just stay with us. Oh, Lauren. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. That's really sweet of you. Thank you. No, I mean it. But we're out of time. I could talk to you for 19 hours. I adore you. Oh, me too. You're so perfect. You have to come back and let's just talk about everything in life. Like, I want to do a full hour about your stand-up, a full hour about your writing. like And you. Let's talk about you as well, please. Yeah. I just, it's so easy to talk. Like, I had 50,000 questions for you, but I just wanted to talk to you. And I, rarely that happens. Like, I usually go into my Barbara Walters mode. And I just, <laughs> I love that you wouldn't let me do that. It felt so nice to just be able to chat with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it felt like we were friends already. Like, yeah. and you're just very, very intellectual. I've learned a lot and I'm very impressed. Like, in terms of, thank you for reading it, obviously, because so many people like don't want to do that and I don't mind. But like, when you do it, it means so much. And beyond that, it's just, it feels like we've had some similar experiences. And I really respect your hard work in terms of your own hustle. I can't wait to see bigger things. I want to see bigger things for both of us. I want us to both shine and I want to be part of your journey whatever I can do to lift you up I'm here just being friends with you would be great yeah what I was gonna say is like if there's people in New York you think would be good for me to have a coffee with then don't worry about it now but I'm going September Let me so think if, about it if anyone comes in mind yeah yeah that would be great so here I am with Sadia natural born rebel full human being empowering us all to be full human beings multi-hyphenate First one in her family to tell the truth about all parts of her life. What do you want to leave the listener with today? Like what's one piece of wisdom from your own lived experience you really would love them to walk away with? This is something I was thinking about earlier. And I think it's about on the subject of losses. 
losses are really hard like we don't get taught about them in school or how to process them and the thing is though I think they also contribute to our overall journey and so even though at the time it could be really difficult I think they make you who you are and they make you stronger and so just keep going beautiful always keep going I don't actually like the phrase never give up because you're repeatedly reading give up I love always keep going or just keep going. And that's such beautiful wisdom. Sadia, I love you. I'm so grateful you exist. And thank you for being on the show. You're so sweet, amazing. And right back at you. Thank you for having me, Laura. And this is an amazing podcast. Please subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. She's the best. She even knows the, the call to action. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Sadia Asmat. For more info on Sadia, follow her at Sadia underscore Asmats and visit her website, SadiaAzmat.com. That's S-A-D-I-A-A-Z-M-A-T.com. You can hear her podcast, No Country for Young Women, wherever you get your pods and get a copy of her book, Sex Bomb, wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Sadia underscore Asmats so she can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you act on your inner rebel's desires. Don't hold that life inside of you out of fear. The world needs more people like Sadia willing to push past convention to be their full selves. And when they do this, they free others to do the same. You can do it. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.